Dan, was you being nervous whenever she was calling out names? Was you wondering if you was on the naughty or the nice list, Dan? Yeah, I, I thought you were. I was, I was waiting for her to say the name Dan, meaning you, not Daniel. Daniel's, just for Dan, Daniel's on the nice list. Well, yeah, that's true. Maybe you both were on the naughty list. Sheila will, get, Sheila will find that for us and let us know. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> hey, this morning we're going to turn to the book of James. We've got two verses in James we're going to look at today in the first chapter. But I was looking over last week some previous Christmas messages, and I was I mean, as much as I love Christmas time and I love the greatest story ever told of Christmas, there is a danger that exists among pastors of becoming repetitive from year to year because although it's a wonderful story of the Lord's birth that we should read every year and we'll read about it on Christmas Eve service, there isn't many ways to preach upon the account. I mean, once you've heard it, you've heard it multiple times, you hear it every year. And I didn't want to be repetitious, so I looked back over some messages from last year to avoid being repetitious, reading back then over Matthew and Luke, which tells us the Christmas story. And I began thinking about the precious gift that we receive, that we celebrate this time of the year, of course, is Jesus. And, and how much it is such a perfect gift given to mankind. You cannot get a more perfect, better gift than Jesus. And it made me think of the two verses in James today. It's not, you know, part of the Christmas story, so to speak, but it's two verses that just speak of the love the Father has for us by giving us his one and only son, Jesus, into this world. It's the most perfect gift possible for anyone. So let us reflect upon that as we look into James. We're in chapter 1. It's just two verses, so stand with me this morning if you're able to. We stand to simply honor the reading of the word. And it's not going to be long to read it, but here's what James is saying. We're going to expand upon in just a moment. In chapter 1, it's verses 17 and 18. He says this. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. O Father, we do do pray over this text, Lord, and ask as we reflect upon your perfection of your Son given to us, the perfect Son, Lord, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect gift given to all of mankind, and then how that equates into your goodness that you give to us today, Lord. Let's reflect upon this passage in the time which we're living, the Christmas season, and just be grateful that you've given us this precious gift of your Son, which really shows us of how much you love us, of your goodness you have for us, Lord. So today, our message is about goodness, and we just ask, Lord, we wrap our hearts around that and just feel warm today with this message you have for us of how good you are to us. Even when we don't deserve it, you're still good. You're still God. It's your nature. It's your character. So let's be thankful for what you will tell us today about your goodness that we have in our life that we can receive of your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're here a few weeks ago, Sheila always had the tendency to ask the question to the children as they gathered up here on the front row. And a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard her ask the children if they could have just one gift for Christmas, what would it be? And there was a variety of answers given. I mean, some of the children put on the spot and they couldn't think of anything really quickly. But some of them did say a few things like roller skates. 
or a game system or things like that. But those are the children's answers as they are put on the spot to think about something they'd like to have for Christmas if they only could have one thing. So I thought, let's just play the same game. Let's just ask ourselves a similar question. So let me ask you, it's rhetorical. You don't have to shout out the answer, but you start thinking about it. If you could have just one gift for Christmas, what would it be? And how would you respond to the question then? Again, don't shout out the answer, but start thinking about the question. If you could have just one gift to be given to you for Christmas, what would it be? And while you're thinking about what it might be, let's add this to the equation. Nothing is off limits. Money is not the issue. Anything and everything is available to you. So what would it be? And be honest. Just start thinking about it honestly. I mean, don't give me the church answer. You ever, we recognize Jesus is the gift. They've been given to us, the most special, precious gift given to mankind. We've accepted that. We've received that. So you can have one special gift outside of that. What would it be? And anything is available. Nothing's off limits. Honestly, what would it be? Now, I start thinking about some of the answers that could be given. And I start thinking about, well, it might be a material item like the iPhone 15. Or a new car. Or some new appliances or some new furniture or whatever. I mean, it's something material that we sometimes desire to have in our lives. If we have just one thing given to us and money's not the object, it might be something material. Or it might be something different. Something such as good health. Maybe to be cancer-free. Or the healing of a child or a loved one. Or a new job of better pay and better benefits. Remember, everything is available. Nothing's off limits. It's like the ultimate Christmas wish list given to you. Now, if you actually change the question, I mean, to rather than having, you know, the most often asked toys for Christmas or gifts for Christmas, rather than start thinking about what we would want, let's just ask Google. I did this last week. I asked Google the most asked for Christmas gift this year. Start thinking about what we would want, what it would be if money's not the object, and I started thinking, well, I'll just ask Google to find out for me, because I was curious, what is the most asked for Christmas gift this year? And the answer depends on which site you click on, because there's multiple sites. When you put that into Google search, the most asked for Christmas gift this year, you get lots of sites that quickly come available. And all kinds of options and opinions become available to you. Because there's sites like Rolling Stone, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, Forbes, New York Times, Amazon, Consumer Reviews, and many, many more just literally right there available for you to click on. And they're all then weighing an opinion on the hottest, most popular, cool, trendy gifts that will, sold, what will sell out. you got to get it because it's going to sell out. Now, to help the search, the sites even break it down a little further. They say, this is the best gifts if you have a budget of under $30. This is the best gift if you have a budget of $50 or of $100. Or if you have an unlimited budget, it even gives you an option to have, like you want for your pastor, a search for a luxury item. Right? You haven't searched that yet? I encourage you to do so. 
But it, it gives you all kinds of options, the best gifts for everyone, for, for him or for her or for your child. It gives you all kinds of advice, opinions, and options to help you buy the perfect gift. Now, here it is. If you still haven't done your shopping, still not complete, and you're looking for that hottest, trendy, cool, perfect gift, get your pen and paper ready because here it comes. This site, or multiple sites, listed these things, some of which I have never thought of, that is the hottest, coolest, trendy item for this year. Are you ready? Kayla's got her pen and paper ready. Here it is. Number one, this will surprise you. Mystery tackle box. Are you serious? I mean, I like to hunt. I don't like to fish here as much as I like to hunt, but really, that's the number one item, a mystery tackle box? I can think of better things. Number two also surprised me. Light up rose in a glass dome. What? Yeah. Number three. Are you ready for this? You got your pen and paper ready? An everywhere belt bag. Well, I don't even know what that is. An everywhere belt bag. Number four was a custom neon sign. You may see the list behind me. I think a lot of people would like what's next to it, or under it. Lightsaber chopsticks, right, Colton? Colton? Okay. Lightsaber chopsticks. For you Star Wars fans, or some out there, dry bar, the double shot oval blow dryer. Oh, okay, I don't need that. Maybe I need the next item, head shaver for men. What do you think? <laughs> I I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't have the curls like I used to. Okay, my my I've, I've shaved my head a little bit. I didn't really shave it so much as I kind of got it cut down some because I like kind of I mean not really short now. So I ask Sheila to cut my hair every two weeks, or more often every two weeks. Every time she cuts it, she says, there's nothing there to cut. So I'm thinking that she might have for me the head shaver for men under the tree. The next item, though, was Tossie. You know what Tossie is? You ever heard of the Tossie? Come on, people. You're not cool. You're not trendy. You're not getting the hottest items. you got to get on the list. A Tossie is like a neon glowing Frisbee. Then you see things that would make sense, like a 12-inch screen magnifier for smartphone and Apple AirPods Max. I mean, you go on for hours and hours looking at everybody's re review or their opinion or the option of the search, a search for the perfect gift. So here's the question maybe we need to entertain for a moment. Why do people search for the perfect gift? And I think the answer to maybe why people take hours looking at the website or shopping the way they do online or actually in person, the perfect gift, the way they search for it because of love. They search diligently for the perfect gift because they love you. And they search for hours to find that perfect gift for the person they love the most. Now, it's interesting, I went a little further to change the Google search from you know, what is the most often asked for gift this year to what is the perfect gift? Because if everybody's trying to find that perfect gift, I thought, well, I'll ask Google, then what is the perfect gift? And here's the answer. The perfect gift is something that the person wants. Maybe something that has come up in a conversation or something that you have seen the person eyeing or browsing. 
there are many extra marks to be gained for fun and originality. For instance, the bright yellow fountain pen or the joint massage class. Roger and Candy, I see that for you guys. Okay. Yeah, according to the Bible, the perfect gifts from God include wisdom, the fruits of the Spirit, gift of salvation, and gift of eternal life. Does that answer surprise you? I mean, I asked Google what was the perfect gift, and this is the answer that first comes up on the search. I was kind of surprised by it. And then I started about a little further, and I thought, well, I, I, I see that according to the Bible, the perfect gifts from God were wisdom, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of salvation, that makes sense, and the gift of eternal life. And I thought, well, where's Jesus? But then I see the gift of salvation. There's Jesus. I mean, it does tell us the perfect gift given to mankind. Where it says the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, that only comes through Jesus. In our featured text today, James tells us that the perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father lights. You see it again written in verses 17 and 18. But I ask you, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean when James tells us that a good gift and every perfect gift is from above? I go to the words of John Corson, where he says, The good gifts, the perfect things, and the cool stuff that come your way are solely because of God's grace and kindness and benevolence. You might be a gifted musician, an intelligent person, a hard worker. Those are gifts from God by grace to have nothing to do with you earning them. Therefore, there's no room for us to take credit for anything you're able to perform or achieve. Everything. Everything that is wonderful in your life is because of God's grace to you. And I thought, well, what a helpful comment. Because we need to understand that every blessing we have in life, everything wonderful in life that happens to us is all because of God's grace to you, which reveals his love he has for us. When you start really thinking about it and really trying to dissect it, even trying to try to digest it, I mean, what have we done? What have we done, all of us put together, as individuals even, what have we done to be so blessed? I mean, the answer is really nothing that we've done to be so blessed. I mean, we're not really all that special. You hear me sometimes talk about, or we're all that in a bag of chips. We're, we're not. I mean, God looks upon us as dirty filthy rags of sinners. And we try to rationalize then and justify our actions and insist that our sin is not near as bad as the next person. But yet we're still sinners. And because of that, we do not deserve God's grace and his mercy. But yet God loves us so much that he gave the world the most perfect gift ever to mankind, Jesus. That is the most perfect gift ever given to mankind. It's only Jesus. Now, regarding the gift of Jesus to the world, Paul describes the gift as inexpressible or indescribable or too wonderful for words or unspeakable, depending on translation. But God disposed, but bestows upon us the most perfect gift simply because he loves us. He gives us the most perfect gift ever possible simply because he loves us. So I ask you this. Isn't God good? Yes, absolutely God is good. 
regarding the goodness in his wonderful commentary on the book of James, Kent Hughes writes this, it is impossible to walk with God if we question his goodness. Now think about that. It is impossible to walk with God if we question his goodness. But yet we do. Believers do the very thing we just talk about how we cannot do. It's impossible to walk with God if we question his goodness. But we do this very thing. We question his goodness. I mean, amazingly, we can attempt to walk through life while we question his goodness. So, I mean, why is that? We, we tend to do that, but why is it? Is it simply because we're so spiritually immature? That's maybe so. But many people question God's goodness because simply bad things happen to good people. And because that's true, we all become guilty at some point of questioning God's goodness. And that's certainly the case with James' readers. When at the time James was writing this, in these words, believers were suffering immense persecution because simply they're facing Christ. And naturally, the persecution they were suffering from was causing many of them to be disappointed in and even angry with God. And like a lot of people in the world today, they thought to themselves, a good God would not allow these things to happen to me or to the people I love. So maybe the question now we ask ourselves is this, have you ever doubted God's goodness? Because the doubt of God's goodness is as old as the human race. Masquerading as a serpent, Satan came to the Garden of Eden and approached Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Has God, certain serpent said to Eve, Has God really said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? I mean, in essence, he was casting doubt on the goodness of God. It's like he was saying, is it really true that God does not allow you to eat of all the trees of the garden? The implication, of course, is that if God were truly good, he would allow Adam and Eve to eat of all the trees without so much as a single exception. What that means is this, that planting seeds of doubt is Satan's motive. Satan has never let up on the business of questioning the goodness of God. In all of our lives, I mean, things happen. Sickness comes, a loved one may pass away, friendships or relationships just fail, conflict comes in our life, and Satan comes up beside you, and he gets up beside you, and he kind of whispers in your ear, if God were really good to you, you would not be going through this right now. But interestingly, Satan also works on the other side of the equation. He not only uses presence of difficulty in our lives to make us doubt God, but also the absence of some blessing, saying this, if God were really good, you would have this thing or that thing, implying that God is maybe withholding a blessing from you. It is quite possible that James, as he's writing this to the readers at a particular moment, may have very well had part of Satan's deception of Eve in mind when he addressed the readers. If you go back to the text, if you have your Bible open, you can see in verse 16, we didn't part of our reading, but he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. So essentially James is saying, you must not let Satan deceive you about the goodness of God as he deceived Eve so many years ago. 
Because the truth is this, anytime we doubt the goodness of God, we are falling to pray to Satan's trickery. Anytime we doubt the goodness of God, we are falling prey to Satan's trickery. Isn't that what happens? I mean, Satan tries to put that doubt in our mind the best he can by circumstances and events. So we begin to have some doubt in our mind. We're falling prey to Satan's deception and his trickery. But God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. So James is taking a moment here as the doubt was creeping into believers to make some declarations about God's goodness. And it's right then that we review them today because we're coming up from the Christmas season of God giving us his perfect gift, his son, and of how that equates to how good he is to all of us. Even if we think nothing good is happening, we still have the best gift, the goodness of God. So let us find what James is declaring here. There's three different declarations that we should be conscious of, of God's goodness. And here they are. Number one, God is the only source of goodness. And secondly, God is the unchanging source of goodness. And finally, and thirdly, God is the source of the supreme act of goodness. We'll review them again and expand upon each of them. The first again was God is the only source of goodness. James chapter 1, verse 17, the very beginning of it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In his commentary, Roger Ellsworth writes in the opening of James, he says, James seems to be calling his readers to conduct something of an inventory. It is as if he were saying, look around you. What do you call good? Make no mistake about it. If you call anything good, it comes from God. I like that comment. Look around you. Anything that you call good in our lives comes from God. Because the same truth as he writes in the commentary applies to all of us. So start thinking about it. What do you call good? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is good health. I've been fighting this cold, my head cold, for three weeks now. But I still have relatively good health. So good health is something from God. And how about a family or a best friend or a great marriage or just freedom that we have in our lives or the birth of a baby or the smile of a child? The singing of the birds early in the morning. The thunders crash of the waves when you're at the beach. Or the majesty of the mountains, wonderful mountains. And you maybe go to Gatlinburg or Smoky Mountains or wherever. Or maybe it's just the warmth of a fire in the winter and the cool breeze in the summer. I mean, all these things come from God. And thousands of other things as well. If it is good, it comes from God. That is the assertion that James is making here. In fact, he's saying there is no good that comes from any other source but God. Warren Worsby adds this. He says, God gives only good gifts. Everything good in this world comes from God. If it did not come from God, it is not good. 
If it comes from God, it must be good, even when we do not see the goodness in it immediately. Paul's thorn in the flesh was given to him by God, and it seemed to be a strange gift. Yet it became a tremendous blessing to him. God is the only source of goodness in our life. That's what James's first declaration is in verse 17. In the latter part of verse 17, he makes a second declaration. God is the unchanging source of goodness. He says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I mean, James adds a wonderful and glorious dimension to understanding God's goodness by saying, there is no variation, there is no shadow of change, but the Father of lights. Basically, James is stressing God's steadfastness, his consistency, his faithfulness. I mean, what a blessing it is to know that God is always the same, never wavering, never changing, always good, always faithful, always keeping his promises. Going back to Worsby, he says, God does not change. It is impossible for God to change. He cannot change for the worse because he is holy. He cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. He is the unchanging God. This means that we should never question his love or doubt his goodness when difficulties come or temptations appear. But that's what we do. When difficulties come and temptations appear and we'll fall subject to that and get in the situation that sometimes we put ourselves in, sometimes we begin to doubt God's goodness. But Worsby is correct. In fact, while Satan tries to cast doubt about God's goodness, it's all the truth is this, that God does not have days which he has more goodness than on other days. His goodness is always undiminished and unchanged. Kent Hughes says, God does not change like shifting shadows. God's goodness is always at high noon. The devil will tell you otherwise. He will tell you that God has less favor toward you today than he had for you yesterday. And it is your fault. As exactly what he tries to do to us. He tries to have us to have some doubt in our mind about God's goodness. And if God is not as good to us today as he was yesterday, it must be something we did and it's all our fault. But here's the fact. God is good. He always has been and he always will be. In fact, God cannot be anything but I like Porson's comment when he says, not only is God good in the gifts he gives, but in who he is. In him there is no variableness or shadow of turning. That is, he's not moody. He doesn't have bad days. He's not generous with me one day, but grouchy the next, as I can so often be. We are variable. We go up and down. God doesn't. He can be nothing but good. He doesn't react to me according to how I'm doing with him. He is faithful when I am faithless. He is good when I am grumpy. He doesn't change. He's locked into his nature. And that statement of a course means that God is being good to us even when we're having circumstances in our life and we're crying out that God is not good to us. Or he's good to us even when we begin to question his goodness or begin to have some doubt. It's in those moments we still need to recognize God is good. God is always good. God gives us nothing but good gifts, for he is a good God. It is his nature 
It is who he is. He is a good God. And the third, what James is declaring here, is that God is the source of the supreme act of goodness. Verse 18. He says, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, verse 17, James has affirmed that the Lord is the source of goodness, and the goodness will never change or fail. I mean, if James would just stop there, had nothing else to say, we could go away on our, our, our leave today quite content, merry, and happy, and our hearts singing because we recognize God's goodness. But James has a little more to say. Verse 18, he says, As a proof of God's goodwill, as if creation itself wasn't sufficient enough, James asserts that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now let me explain that just a moment. Go with a couple, a couple of things to notice. Number one is this. First, notice this. According to verse 18, James saying, What God did, he did by choice. No one makes God do anything. He does of his own free will. His action was not an accident or response to necessity in our lives. He chose, and therefore the action shows the essence of his character, of his goodness. He chose to give us his son. We can't make or demand God to give us anything. But of his nature, of his goodness, he gives us, of his choice, of his own free will. And even gives us a choice of accepting his son, of our own free will. But secondly, notice how he gives us birth. I mean, on the one hand, this action is creation. I mean, God did create everything. This Bible tells you in school, God is the creator. And the father lies is also the father of humanity. I mean, he has willed together all of human life and all things that we live and breathe. On the other hand, not only did God, the creator of all things, produce creation, but he also produced us as new creation. He has produced a new birth or redemption in all believers. Anyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord has been reborn. The very words of our Lord expressing that to Nicodemus was really confusing to him. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus was inquiring about this. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus simply answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being reborn is a supreme act of God's goodness. Being reborn is a, a supreme act of his goodness he gives to us. It can only happen through his son. And third, what he's saying here also is that God does this new act of creation through the word of truth. What is the word of truth? Peter David answers. In New Testament era, the word of truth was the gospel. God purposely sets his second creation, his recreation, or rebirth, into motion by sending out the word of the gospel. The result of this act is that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We, says James, are like a harvest. We are the first ripe fruit of God's new creation, promising the full harvest to come. Simply said this, God is the source of the supreme act of goodness. 
He makes the world conscious of His goodness, of His act of love and mercy and grace. He restores a sinful creature, like all of us are, to a new life, an eternal life of bliss and happiness with Himself. Isn't God good? He has given us the perfect gift of which we celebrate this particular time of the year. The perfect gift being his son Jesus. He bestows upon us his buried nature, his love, his mercy, his goodness. It's not the Christmas story, so to speak. We'll get into that as we get closer to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We'll go through the entire Christmas story in our candlelight service. But today we see that God is good. And we should take this time, this opportunity, especially this time of the year, to reflect simply upon his goodness. It's something that maybe we become guilty of and taking for granted, his goodness. Maybe we just always count on the fact that God is going to be good. But God is truly good. In this Christmas season, we should stop and reflect upon God's goodness. Because James in his text today offers three declarations of God's goodness that we should be conscious of. God is the only source of goodness. God is the unchanging source of goodness. And God is the source of the supreme act of goodness. Yes, God is good all the time. And all the time, say it with me, God is good. Be blessed, merry, and grateful for his goodness. Celebrate Christmas with your family and friends and be thankful for the goodness of God given us his son. Father. Lord, we thank you for this message today, a simple message, Lord, reflected upon your goodness you give to us, of all humanity, Lord, of your Son. Lord, we come today fully accepting your Son as the gift you've given to all of us. We talk about the perfect gift, Lord. We talk about how we should give each other gifts for Christmas, Lord. But let us recognize the most special, perfect gift we could ever give to someone is the good news of Jesus Christ. And they should accept that and allow you to Allow them to have in their heart, Lord, Jesus. There's no better gift for anybody to ever receive, especially Christmas time, than the gift of Jesus, your son. So, Lord, today, reflect upon your goodness you give to us, and we say thank you. We have thankful hearts here today, Lord. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.